podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two footed podcast on Monday, the 20th of March. Hope you all had a nice St. Patrick's weekend. It's not a day, it's a weekend. It's a weekend to celebrate the brilliance of the Irish. And we should celebrate the brilliance of the Irish, the Irish rugby team, claiming their fourth ever Grand Slam, defeating the English at the Aviva Stadium. Tremendous. Celtic also won. So I had a good weekend. Liverpool weren't there to wreck my weekend. Ireland won, Celtic won. I'm happy. Until I watched some of the other football. And Jesus wept. We've got a lot to get into today. Let's start Friday night. 
Nottingham Forest at home to Newcastle. Toon dominate the game, have all the possession, but Emmanuel Dennis scores against the run of play on 26 minutes. It's a bad mistake by Sven Botman, the first he's made all season, really. It's a good finish by Dennis and Forrest are one up. Newcastle equalise on the stroke of half time. A really inventive, creative volley by Isak from a cross that was behind him. Kind of clipped it with his heel, his, the side of his foot. It's a really good finish into the bottom corner. 1-1. 93 minutes. Newcastle have huffed and puffed. And finally they blow the house down. They get a penalty. And Isak steps, <clears throat> steps up and finishes well, giving Keeler Navas no chance. Three deserved points for Newcastle, without doubt. Moving on, Brentford won, Leicester City won. Um, Matthias Jensen scored for Brentford on 32 minutes with the aid of a deflection. Harvey Barnes equalises on 52. Brentford should have had this game put to bed long before the halftime interval. They had more than enough chances, more than enough opportunities, and they just couldn't take advantage of that dreadful Leicester defence. And credit to Leicester, they clung in the game and eventually they got their equaliser and they held on. And as the game came to a close, it was them putting on some good pressure. Um, So a decent point for Leicester. I think Brentford likely to be disappointed by that result. Southampton 3, Tottenham 3. So Pedro Porro scores just before halftime. His first goal for Spurs put them one up. Really well taken. Just leathered it past Basunu. Gave him no chance. Less than a minute into the second half, Che Adams equalizes. Good work from Southampton. Nice finish. 1-1. Game on. Harry Kane makes it 2-1 on 65. Ivan Perisic makes it 3-1 on 74. You think, game over. At this point, Spurs have moved to third in the Premier League. More on that in a second. But Theo Walcott gets one back on 77. Nice finish. And then in the 93rd minute, Southampton get a penalty. Ward-Prowse steps up. It's never really in doubt. 3-3, game over, draw, points dropped for Tottenham. So, Tottenham remain in fourth, but could have slid into third had they won the game. Now, United would have had games in hand, but the fact that a team as bad as Tottenham have been this season could have been third. The fact that United are third and have been pretty bang average most of the season shows how poor this league is this season. I had an Arsenal fan on Twitter this morning tell me that, objectively speaking, the league is stronger than ever. And it's just so far from the truth. It's ridiculous. United are not particularly good. They're consistent but they're not a particularly good team. Spurs are a pretty poor team. 
before their two recent wins, Newcastle won one of eight and never dropped below sixth. They sit fifth. Liverpool have been garbage all season and are sixth. Now, Brighton and Brentford, credit to them, are having good seasons by Brighton and Brentford standards. So you're basing them against themselves. You're judging them against past versions of themselves. They're having good seasons. But they're not great teams. Fulham are ninth, newly promoted. A lot of average players in that team. Chelsea are 10th, only in the top half on goal difference. Villa are 11th. They've lost 11 games. They sacked the manager this season, and they've got a negative goal differential. And the other nine teams could all be relegated. The other nine teams could all be relegated, and not one of them could make a complaint. Not one of them could say they were hard done by. There's not one of them that you'd look at and say, they're too good to go down right now. None of them. There are four points separating 12th place Palace and bottom of the table Southampton. Four points. Leeds began the weekend in the bottom three and are 14th at the moment. This league is dreadful this season. This Arsenal team have 69 points after 28 games. That's a really good return. But look at what they're going up against. Even City in second are miles off the level that we're used to from Manchester City. Last season in 38 games, City dropped points in nine. This season in 28 ga- 27 games, they've already dropped points in eight. Last season, they lost three games. This season, they've already lost four. In 1819, when Liverpool and City were great, City dropped points in six games. Again, eight already this season. In 1718, when they became Centurions, six games. Again, eight this season. Other than the bubble year, when there was no fans, the 2021 season, this is by far the weakest team competing for a title. Arsenal and City, both of them. Like Chelsea, who won the league under Conte, 38 games, and he dropped points in eight games. Eight games. City are way below the level of what we expect them to be. And Arsenal, Arsenal have done very well this season, and they have overachieved significantly. But they're going up against a really weak league. Now, if they win the league, nobody's going to care. From an Arsenal point of view, nobody cares. No Leicester fan sits back and thinks, oh, the league we won was really weak. That just doesn't matter to the team that wins it. But objectively speaking, the league is really poor this season. There's just no way to, to deny that. 
it's really, really poor. When 45% of the league could go down, I'm sorry, you're not going to make an argument that it's a strong league. When half of the Champions League spots are going to be taken up by teams that are average or below, you're not making an argument that this is a strong league. You're just not. It's not going to happen. Spurs are poor. They're a poor team. The manager came out and called them a poor team. Conte ripped into them after the game. And certain people, Jamie Carragher and others, said, oh, he should probably be sacked now. Why? Because he was honest? Because he called out the players? Because he called out the owners? Because he took blame himself? Why should he be sacked? But the fact that they were going third had they won speaks volumes about how bad this league is. They've lost nine times already this season. They've played 28 games and dropped points in 13 of them. They're not a good team. And yet we're supposed to believe this is a strong league. Get out. No chance. Let's move on. Aston Villa 3, Bournemouth 0. Douglas Louise put Villa 1 up on 7 minutes. A really nice finish from Jacob Ramsey on 80, made it 2. And Emmy Buendia wrapped it up on 89. Solid, solid win for, for Villa. And an expected defeat for Bournemouth, who, despite beating Liverpool last week, are very, very poor. Uh, Wolves 2, Leeds 4. Multiple things on this. So, Jack Harrison opens the scoring on six minutes. Puts Leeds one up. Wolves should have had a penalty in the first half. It's a very blatant foul. It should have been given and it wasn't. On the flip side, Craig Dawson should have been sent off for his tackle on Jack Harrison. That is an absolute disgrace. He very clearly goes over the ball. He should be sent off. The fact that he gets away with a yellow is a shambles. He then commits a very clear yellow card foul on Patrick Bamford within two minutes. And if he hadn't been sent off for the first one, he should have been sent off here and there, here and then. So that's two horrendous refereeing decisions. We get to half time; it's 1-0 to Leeds. Leeds go two up through Luke Ayling. Some of the worst defending of a set piece you'll ever see by Wolves. Rasmus Christensen makes it three on 62 minutes. Again, the defending here is just abysmal. Absolutely embarrassing how poor this is. Johnny makes it 3-1. He's had an absolute stinker. He makes it 3-1, lobbing the keeper who's come out to head the ball clear on 65. And Mateus Cunha, with the aid of a deflection, makes it 3-2 on 73. And you think, we're going to get a grandstand finish here. The referee has no control of this game. Johnny gets himself sent off on 84 minutes, and it's absolutely a red card offence. He gives a yellow initially. It was very clearly a red card. The game ends 4-2 because Rodrigo runs on to score on 97 minutes after 
Adama Traore is very clearly fouled. The ball breaks to Leeds, goes to Rodrigo, he scores. VAR check, referee's told, go and check that. And he looks at it and says, no, that's fine. This refereeing performance was a disgrace. An absolute disgrace. Now, he was bad for both teams, not just Wolves. Wolves can feel more aggrieved because two big decisions went against them. But Leeds can counter that by saying, yeah, but Craig Dawson should have been sent off in the first half. And then you're playing 65 minutes with 10 men or however long it would have been. In the protests of the Rodrigo goal, Matthias Nunes, who sat on the bench, is sent off. Not really sure why. This was a shambles from the referee. And seriously, someone needs to pull him up this week and tell him he's not going to be referee in Premier League games moving forward because he's not of the standard required. Uh, Chelsea 2, Everton 2. Joao Felix put Chelsea 1 up on 52 minutes, well taken goal. Abdoulaye Dekoury equalised on 69 minutes. Kai Havertz put Chelsea 2-1 up on 76 with a penalty. But Ellis Sims making a mockery of Kaladou Koulibaly um, turning him far too easily and finishing past Kepa on 89 to give Everton a hard-earned draw. And I would say, on balance of play, a well-deserved draw as well. I thought Everton actually put up a good performance here. That's five points from their last three games for Everton, so that's a really good bump in form. Uh, for Chelsea, their three-game winning streak comes to an end, and uh, they sit 10th. And they're fortunate to be 10th, to be fair. Um, Last Premier League game of the weekend then was yesterday. Arsenal 4, Crystal Palace 1. Martinelli opened the scoring on 28 minutes. Bakayo Saka made it 2 on 43. Granit Xhaka made it 3 on 55. And the only thing I can really say about these goals is that Joel Ward is an awful right back and Arsenal are ruthless when they get opportunities. Uh, Jeff Schlupp did pull one back on 63. Um, it's a great corner by Michael Elise and a, a good finish by Schlupp. But Bakayo Saka wrapped up the points for Arsenal with their fourth on uh, 74 minutes after good work involving Kieran Tierney. A comfortable win for Arsenal against a team that had no manager. Myself and Guy discussed on this podcast on Thursday the possibility of Patrick Vieira getting sacked. And I said I would I would understand it, but I thought he'd last till the end of the season. And then the news broke on the Friday that he had been dismissed. Um, I don't think it's the wrong decision. I do think they might be about to make the wrong decision, though. There are reports that Roy Hodgson is in talk to take the job in talks to take the job again, uh, probably just till the end of the season, probably just to try and keep them up. They should be fine to stay up anyway. There are worse teams than them in the division, but Roy Hodgson is definitely a huge step backwards. And one of the reasons Vieira 
has failed at Crystal Palace and been sacked is his refusal to leave certain relics from Crystal Palace's past behind him. I include Joel Ward. I include Jeff Schlupp, who's not a bad player. He's a fine squad player, but shouldn't be starting every game. And I would include uh, Jordan Ayew. These players are not of the required standard and they don't fit with what Crystal Palace have been building. Now, you can point blame at the owners for not fully backing Vieira this past summer, and I certainly would point at that. I I don't think they did enough. I thought they needed to go and invest in a right-back, invest in another midfielder. I know they got Ahamada in January, and that's fine, him, and they got Sambi Lacong getting on loan. So they did address the midfield in January, but bringing players in in January to a struggling team can be problematic. And you'll often find a manager who's hesitant to uh, include them, especially if they're young players like Ahamada, over more experienced players. But, you know, consistently leaving out one of Eze or Elise to play the likes of Ayu uh, or Ayu, whatever way you pronounce his name. Um, it's just you're not making the most of what you've got. And there's a very talented group of players at Crystal Palace. And I do think that with a progressive manager who was willing to, you know, accept some bumps in the road with some of these young players, I do feel like you could potentially have convinced Zaha to stick around after this year. I don't imagine he's going to stay now. I certainly don't think he'll be happy at the idea of Hodgson coming back because they didn't have the best relationship. And Wilf undoubtedly improved once Hodgie was out the door. I can kind of see some logic in bringing Hodgson back. He knows the club. He's been there, you know, for a number of years and he has a a track record of, you know, scrapping his way to draws and whatever else. But it feels like an opportunity for them to go and get a progressive manager who can, you know, continue to build. Remember, Vieira wasn't their first choice. He was like their third or fourth choice. Lucien Favre got quite far down the road in negotiations. So did Nuno Espirito Santo. And they looked at a couple of others before settling on Vieira. You look at the odds to replace Vieira. Now, you've got Roy Hodgson, who's six to one on. I, I just, for me, I just, no, just don't do that. Don't do that. You've made big strides to move on from the Hodgson era. You don't want to read Dinosaur, your club. Um, Paddy McCarthy, I thought tactically, Hallis um, were a shambles yesterday. So uh, he might be a talented coach. I, I, I wouldn't suggest uh, he's the man to take over. Eddie Huther uh, is a good coach and and did well with Red Bull Salzburg, did well with Young Boys, did very well with Eintracht Frankfurt, had a poor season with Borussia Mönchengladbach, plays good football. He's only 53 years of age, despite the fact he looks 70. He wouldn't be a bad choice, but his style of play can take a little bit of time to... um, to implement. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa is next. I, I just don't think so as a mid-season signing. Frank Lampard, 14-1. to 1. I mean, you, you couldn't get worse. Jesse Marsh, 14-1. to 1. Could be an interesting fit there. Ralph Hasenhutl, 
I'm just not sure his football is suited to England. Rafa Benitez should be an automatic no. Ange Postacoglu is 25 to 1. There's zero chance he would take the job. Frank Hayes is 25 to 1. Uh, that's an interesting name. He's the manager of Lens. He's done a very, very good job since taking over there. And uh, I actually think that could be a very clever move for them. Um, Kettle Nutson, talented manager, certainly has been linked with a number of jobs, but I, I don't see him moving at this point in the season to a Premier League job. I think he'd rather, because this will be his first job outside of Norway, I think he'd rather come in and have a full pre-season and the rest. Uh, Lucien Favre would be a poor move at this point. Michael Carrick, I don't think, leaves Borough. Nuno's there 25-1. to 1. He might make some sense. And Paolo Fonseca is uh, is also 25-1 to 1 and could be an interesting enough one. Um, he is manager of Lille at the moment. Whether he'd be willing to leave, I don't know. Did a decent job with Roma. Did very well with Shakhtar. Pretty good job at Braga. Had done a pretty good job at Porto. Didn't win the league, so left after less than a season. But Porto standards are Porto standards. But uh, he could be an interesting one for sure. They have the players to play his style of football, without a doubt. Uh, But again, I don't know if he'd be willing to leave Lille uh, at this point in the season. Now, they do sit sixth. Um, So maybe, maybe he could be talked into it. But he might like to see out the season there before he jumps ship. Um, Kieran McKenna would be an interesting one. Currently manager of Ipswich Town. Uh, I think Ipswich are currently third in the in League One. Now it's a big step up, obviously. Um, but he's a very, very talented young coach who's very, very highly regarded. So he would be one that I think is worth taking a strong look at. Uh, plays a really, really nice brand of football. Uh, Gerardo Sione is a really talented manager who did a great job last season with Leverkusen. This season was a disaster. Uh, he did really well with Young Boys before that and quite well with uh, Luzerne in six months in charge there. Um, he's available, 44 years of age, plays a nice brand of football, I think would work well with the players you have at the club. He, For me, he's someone I'd be taking a strong look at. I understand it ended badly with Leverkusen, but he left behind a much better situation he took over. Um, they had finished sixth in 2021. Uh, he got them to third in his only full season there. Got the round of 16 in the Europa League. I, I think he is somebody that is worth a look. And in that round of 16, like they pushed Atalanta all the way and we're unfortunate to go out. I would be I would be looking at him, him or Kieran McKenna, for me. If I was making the decision for Palace, 
they'd be the two top names on my on my list. Um, moving on then, FA Cup at the weekend as well, obviously. Um, we had the quarterfinals. Manchester City 6, Burnley 0. That is, uh, I believe, seven, uh, 13 goals in two games for City. Uh, 8 in two games for Erling Haaland, which is ludicrous, really. Uh, he got a hat-trick in this one. Julian Alvarez got two, and Cole Palmer got one as City uh, just gave us an example of the difference between, you know, the elite of the Premier League and the best team in the Championship. Uh, moving into Sunday, then, Sheffield United 3, Blackburn 2. Uh, ben Brereton diaz opened the scoring from a penalty on 21 minutes. Uh, Jack Robinson used his arm to block a shot. It was a penalty. There was no question. Um, Sam Gallagher own goal drew the sides level. Uh, Max Lowe, I think it's Mac- Max Lowe, Jamal Lowe, Max Lowe. What's his name? I think it's Max Lowe. Yes, Max Lowe. Uh, his shot from the edge of the box took an enormous deflection, was going wide on one side, took a deflection and ended up in the far corner. Jamal Lowe plays for QPR. Um, yeah, huge deflection, <clears throat> 1-1. Sami Smodzic um, made a 2-1 to Blackburn on 60. Big mistake by Black, by Sheffield United in their build-out play. Blackburn turned the ball over. Smodzic runs on and, and scores and... Blackburn deserved to be ahead at this point. They'd been the better team. This had been a really good game of football. A lot of end-to-end stuff. A couple of big missed chances. James McAtee missed a couple of big chances for for Sheffield United. Um, Diaz missed a decent chance for for Rovers. What's the other fellow's name that missed a good chance? Um, Hedges. Hedges missed a half-decent chance as well. Gallagher missed a couple of good chances. I think it was Gallagher's shot that was actually blocked with the arm. By Robinson. Uh, Ollie McBurney equalized on 81 minutes to make it 2 2. Nice bit of work between, uh, I think it was McAtee and Sander Burge. Good touch by McBurney, poor defending, but he finishes well, makes it 2 2. Uh, and then Tommy Doyle lashes one in from fully 25 yards on 91 minutes to send the blades through to the next round. Brighton 5, Grimsby 0. Dennis Undav opened the scoring on six minutes. Grimsby, to their credit, they were getting comprehensively played off the pitch, but they they managed to stem the flow and they managed to keep Brighton out until 51 minutes when Ferguson made it 2-0. Uh, Ferguson then had a goal disallowed before making it 3-0. And then Solly March on 82 and Matoma via deflection wrapped it up on 90 to give Brighton a 5-0 win, which, to be fair, was a fair reflection of the game. But it was harsh on Grimsby, who, after the Undav goal, did really well to kind of keep Brighton out. I will give Brighton huge credit for something, though. Um, I, I, I thought the players showed good respect in their celebrations. I thought they showed an acknowledgement that they were up against a League Two team who, you know, really and truly are, are well beyond where they should have ended up in the FA Cup, but have done an incredible job to get here, knocking out 
uh, three teams from League One, aside from the Championship and a Premier League side, to get this far in the competition. So huge credit to Grimsby. They go home with no shame. But I thought the Brighton players, just the muted celebrations, thought were a mark of respect. Uh, this was a game they should win. So why celebrate it when you know that you should win? Uh, the final game. Manchester United 3, Fulham 1. Now, this game has been hugely controversial and talked about a lot. I'll say the following. Fulham were the better team for 70 minutes in this game. United had a couple of opportunities, but Fulham were the better team for 70 minutes. They had the better chances. They played the better football. They were the more creative team, the more ambitious team. And United, proving what people like myself have been saying all along, all season, are a counter-attacking team. At home to Fulham, they had less of the possession the first 65 minutes than their opposition. Less ball, less shots, less chances, less everything. Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag, Ten Hag are playing Oli Ball. They're a counter-attacking team. There's no shame in it, but let's not pretend they're a possession-based side. Mitrovic put Fulham one up on 50 minutes. They fully deserved the goal. They were the better team. And it looked like they'd go on and win the game. On 72 minutes, it was about 70 minutes when this happened, Sancho shot, hits the arm of Willian on the line as he tries to make a block. His arm is close to his body, but it definitely hits his arm. It is a penalty. It is a red card. I I don't see any scenario in which those are not the facts of it. Mitrovic gets himself involved, tries to talk to the referee. The referee is ignoring him, which I think is poor from the referee. And Mitrovic grabs his arm. Now, he does not push the referee. He grabs his arm and tries to make him talk to him. The referee immediately reaches for a red card and sends him off. Mitrovic then tries to square up to the referee, which is foolish, but it happens. Mitrovic is going to get a a fairly sizable ban here, probably five games. He will deserve the ban. I don't think he deserves a five-game ban. I don't like I saw Keith Hackett, former Premier League referee, say he should get 10 games. That's garbage. That's absolute nonsense. He doesn't push the referee, he pulls the referee's arm. We saw Bruno Fernandes push a linesman when Liverpool were beating Manchester United 7-0. We saw Bruno push a linesman. Uh, He got no punishment at all. Fulham ultimately were masters of their own demise here. Two players sent off. Now, I don't like the fact that Fulham get Willian sent off along with the penalty. I, I, I... I don't like that you get punished twice. I understand it's the rule, and that's fine, but I don't like it. Um, Bruno Fernandes steps up, scores the penalty, makes it 1-1. Two minutes later, Sabitzer scores a back-heeled flick thing uh, after a Luke Shaw cross. And Bruno wraps it up on 96 minutes to make it look more convincing than it actually was. 
Now, there are a couple of other things in this game. Uh, Fulham were denied not one, but two penalties in this game. Two penalties. Uh, there is a corner. A Fulham player jumps, and while he's in the air, Luke Shaw pushes him. That is a blatant foul, and that should have been a penalty. There is also the Martinez on Mitrovic foul, which is a foul. Martinez can't cope with Mitrovic, gets his legs tangled with him, and brings him down. It's a foul. It should have been a penalty. So Fulham could easily have been three up before the Willian Mitrovic incident. I think Fulham have been wronged here by poor officiating with regards to the two penalties that they should have had. However, with regards to what actually happened in terms of the handball, the two red cards and what took place afterwards with United going on to win, they only have themselves to blame. They lost their cool, they lost their composure, and then they lost two men. Uh, Mitrovic should know so much better. He's worked endlessly to stem the tide of his aggression, to you know manage his temperament, and he's just let himself down. But he did not push the referee. This is not Decanio 2.0. This should not be a long ban. If it's five games, I think that's too much, but I think that's what it probably will be. Uh, we have the FA Cup semi-finals. Manchester City will play Sheffield United. That raises big questions over both Tommy Doyle and James McAtee. Now, I believe that if City give the okay, they can play. But City have no reason to help Sheffield United. So, in all likelihood, those two who've been fantastic for the Blades all season will not be allowed play. So, Man City will be taking on a weakened Sheffield United in the semi-final. I think for the spirit of the competition, the spirit of the game, knowing you're still going to win because they're a championship club and you've just beaten a better championship club in the last round, and for the good of those players and the development and having them play in a big game, I think City should allow them to play. I think City should write to the FA and say, we allow these players to play. Brighton will take on Manchester United in the other semi-final. I said to Guy, I think they're trying to set up an all-Manchester final. That's exactly what they've tried to do. I think Brighton will be taking on Manchester City in the FA Cup final. I don't think United are going to be able to cope with Brighton on a big pitch like that. When Brighton spread you out and isolate your fullbacks and then throw their fullbacks forward as well, having already pulled your midfield around, I think there's going to be huge pockets of space which Alexis McAllister, Matoma, Solly March and Pascal Gross will take advantage of. United's defence is not good. The centre-packs are poor. And I think Evan Ferguson will have uh, quite a bit of fun up against a garden gnome. And whoever the other centre-back will be, I assume it will be Raphael Varane because uh, Slabhead Maguire, who had a stinker yesterday, by the way, uh, got himself booked and is suspended. Amazing thing to be suspended having barely played this season, but congrats to him. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to say right now, I think it's going to be a City-Brighton final. And I think the whole world will be supporting Brighton on FA Cup final day. We will take a break. And when we come back, we're going to laugh at Garth Crooks 
We've got four days of gossip to do, and, you know, we'll get out of here. See you soon. Right, before we move on, uh, I want to draw people's attention to two really good articles on the BBC website that I read this morning. One is written by Emmanuel Russo. It is entitled Georgie Hadji, Inside a Football Icon's Plan to Restore Romania's Glory Days. Uh, that piece is really, really good, so give that a, a read. Uh, a more fascinating one that I missed when it came out, came out on the 3rd of March, written by Ron Ulrich. As Bjorn Halverson and Otto Harder, the story of two teammates and a war. This is, it's it's just, it's an incredible read. It really is an outstanding piece of journalism. Give that a read if you have a chance. Uh, two, two teammates in a war. Very, very good. Eye-opening, heartbreaking, but yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Let's move on to laughing at Gareth Crooks. Um, he's put Emmy Martinez in goal. So let's have a quick gander then. Uh, Aston Villa, who obviously beat Bournemouth at the weekend. Uh, M. Martinez saved three shots. The reason Emmy Martinez is Gart's chosen goalkeeper is he's the only goalkeeper who to- who kept a clean sheet. That is the only reason he is in the team. Because he's the only keeper that kept a clean sheet. At the back, he's gone Ben White. Ben White had a good game. He's gone Ming's awful pick. And he's picked Martinez, who got bullied by Mitrovic. So that's laughable. Uh, he's picked Ward-Prowse, who was dreadful but scored a penalty. He's picked Joe Felix in midfield, who didn't have a good game but scored. He's picked Bruno, who was garbage for 70 minutes but scored twice. And he's picked Saka. No issue with the pick of Saka. Uh, He's picked Isak because he scored twice. He's picked Haaland. There's no problem there. He's picked Jacob Ramsey in attack. So he's picked Felix in midfield and Ramsey in attack. Martinez made one good save from a Philip Billing free kick. A save you would expect most top keepers to make. As well hit as it is, You'd expect most top keepers to save that. No idea why he's picked Mings. Ben White, fair enough. Now, Will Zaha made a mockery of Ben White early in the game, but Ben White grew into it and had a had a good game. Uh, Martinez is laughable. Absolutely laughable. Ward-Prowse was crap. Felix didn't play well. Bruno didn't play well. Saka, absolutely. Isak, I don't have an issue with. Haaland, of course. Ramsey, I mean, you can't pick him and play him in midfield. I'm sorry, you just can't. You just can't pick him and play him in midfield. I will say this. The piece that Gareth Crooks has written at the bottom of his... Uh, laughable team of the week uh, the crux of the matter is very good 
Very, very good. So I, I do think people should give that a read. Let's do the gossip and get ourselves done for the day. We'll start with Friday's. Manchester United are ready to join the bidding to sign Jude Bellingham. No, they're not. Newcastle want to sign James Madison uh, as a priority in the summer. He said he wants to play in the Champions League. Toon likely won't be in the Champions League. So, you know, that that's going to be a conversation they're going to have to, to have. Delhi Ali, Ali's loan spell at Besiktas will not be made permanent in the summer, while Everton are likely to terminate his contract. I'd be interested to see what Daesh could do with him. I, I think Daesh could get something out of him. But I don't know what goes, what's happening with Delhi. I don't know what happens next for him. He, he's definitely fallen out of love with football. Um, he's had a horrendous time with his private life and with mental health issues and stress and pressure. Uh, it's such a shame because at 22, Delhi had the world at his feet. He was a sensation. And at 26, he, he might well be done with football. Thierry Henry has rejected the chance to become the head coach of France's women's team. Thierry Henry is not a good coach, so I, I don't know why anyone would give him a, a job, to be honest. Uh, he is apparently keen on becoming the head coach of the United States men's national team. I think that would be a poor appointment. Uh, Qatar's Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al-Tani is one of the bidders for Manchester United. He will make a second bid within 10 days. Um, this will need to be investigated heavily by the Premier League because he doesn't have the money to buy Manchester United. He alone does not have the money. So they'll need to find out where it's gone or where it's coming from, rather. Uh, Napoli and Nigeria striker Victor Osman says he will discuss his future with his agents at the end of the season. Let me tell you, your future son, you're staying in Naples. Unless someone offers like 180 million, you're going nowhere. Manchester, sorry, Real Madrid are considering a move for Romelu Lukaku. No, they're not. Manchester United, Newcastle, Brighton and Brentford have all shown interest in Gabri Vega. Uh, Liverpool also interested in him, apparently. Um, Arsenal also believed to be keen. Solly March is due to sign a new contract with Brighton at the end of the season. His current deal is actually due to expire this summer. It's surprising they've let it go that long because he's, you know, he's a lad they found, I think, playing for Lewis. Um, He's having a great season. Now, for me, he's still one of the easily upgradable pieces for them, but he's having a tremendous season. Uh, Wolves are set to offer Ruben Neves a new contract. I would guess he'll turn that down and leave this summer. Bayer Leverkusen are interested in signing Vladimir Soufal. Why? They've got a far better right-back in Frimpong, as things stand. Who wrote this piece? Wayne VC Spoofer. Uh, former England and Tottenham left-back Danny Rose is training with York City. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Danny, Danny Rose just retire. He spent long enough as a player telling everybody he hated football and couldn't wait to retire. So he should probably just retire and do everybody a favor. Um, Saturday, Real Madrid are monitoring Harry Kane. Okay. A 175 million release clause written into Erling Haaland's contract at Man City is no longer valid and the club will be able to set their own price if they wish to sell the 22-year-old striker. Uh, I would be very, very surprised if this is true. I would be very, very surprised if this is true. 
Uh, this piece claims that it's because Guardiola signed a new contract. I would bet that that's not true um, because that's just not how Haaland's agent or former agent allowed things to work. Uh, Ruben Uria is the journalist. I'm, I'm just going to call Spoofer, uh, frankly, on him. Um, I'm not sure how a Spanish-based journalist would know of the contract details of a Norwegian footballer at an English club represented by an Italian. So we'll just call Spoofer on that one. Uh, Mason Mount has appointed a new agent to handle a potential deal away from Chelsea. I think he's probably going to end up at Liverpool. Paris Saint-Germain and Argentina forward Lionel Messi is keen to return to Barcelona and speaks often to Xavi. Makes sense. Brighton are prepared to offer Kaoru Matoma a record deal as Real Madrid, Manchester City and Arsenal register their interest. Arsenal are preparing a new bid to sign Moises Caicedo despite him signing a new contract. Uh, Peter O'Rourke, spoofer. Uh, you take absolutely nothing from what he has to say. Sevilla will not be making Alex Tellez's loan deal permanent. Makes sense. Patrick Vieira was sacked by Crystal Palace because it was believed he's been too soft on his underperforming players. That's an interesting take. Um, could well be true. Chelsea are interested in signing Declan Rice. I think he probably ends up at Arsenal, but Chelsea's the club that makes the most sense from although if Mount leaves, you'd wonder if he has the same desire to go there. One of his big things was wanting to play with Mount. Uh, injury-plagued France midfielder N'Golo Kante, who has not played since August, is poised to sign a new two-year deal at Chelsea. That seems like a mistake. Um, for Chelsea, not for him. Get Get the money while you can. Uh, Barcelona's Netherlands midfielder Frankie de Jong has said in an interview, Barcelona has always been the club of my dreams. I hope to be able to continue here for many more years. He was actually asked at Manchester. He laughed that he didn't want to go there. Uh, Nigeria midfielder Alex Iwobi, whose current contract at Everton runs out in the summer of 2024, has been offered a new deal, but is waiting to see how the season pans out. He's waiting to see if they go down. Liverpool will allow... Artemelo and Nabi Keita to leave on free. Everybody knew that. That's not news. Ryan Gravenberch has sealed a move to Liverpool, according to former Reds player Jose Enrique, who made the disclosure on a live web stream. Jose Enrique was one of the dumbest footballers I've ever had the displeasure of watching and is one of the dumbest people talking about football that I've had the pleasure of having my ears bleed for. Uh, awful, awful. Um, Napoli's Georgian winger, Kvicic Kvaratskhelia, who has been linked to Real Madrid and Manchester City, could be tempted to join Newcastle if they qualify for the Champions League. I, I don't think he could. I really don't think he could. And again, it's Fraser Fletcher, who is an absolute spoofer. Uh, Barcelona would be willing to sell Usman Dembele and Ferran Torres to raise funds to sign Federico Chiesa. Okay. Former Spain midfielder Sergio Busquets has been offered a one-year extension by Barcelona with the option of a further year, but is also weighing up possible switches to Inter Miami or Toronto FC in the MLS and has three offers from 
Saudi Arabia. I, I just don't see why. I don't see why Barca would offer him a new deal. It is time to move on. Manchester United are set to appoint Adidas executive Matt Hargreaves, who is a, who has a legal background and is a United fan, to lead their football transfer negotiations. That seems like a dumb idea. No experience in negotiating football transfers. No experience. The last fellow they had had a legal background and was a United fan. It was a disaster. So why would this be any different? United don't negotiate. They just overpay time and time and time again. If you're selling a player and United come in for them, just stick to your price. They, they will pay it. Eric Ten Hag is in line to be given a an extension to his three-year contract despite negotiations ongoing over the potential sale of the club. Leeds want to sign Ilan Melier. Leeds must... Sorry... Chelsea want to sign Ilan Melier from Leeds. Uh, Chelsea mustn't have watched him play at all this season. Newcastle have rekindled their interest in Moussa Diaby and Mitchell Backer. Mitchell Backer's not very good. Uh, Diaby's really good, though. Diaby has long been a target for Arsenal, but the Premier League leaders may struggle to compete with Newcastle in their pursuit of a 62 million rated forward. Roberto Firmino wants to stay in Europe when he leaves Liverpool at the end of the season. That makes sense. Meanwhile, Mohamed Salah's agent, Rami Abbas Issa, has dismissed rumours suggesting the 30-year-old Egyptian forward wants to leave Liverpool. This was uh, Santi, what's-his-face, Spoofer. Liverpool and Manchester United are interested in Anderlecht's Dutch goalkeeper, Bart Verbruggen. He's very, very talented, but Liverpool have lots of young goalkeepers. Edward Mendy has been told he can leave Chelsea this summer. It makes sense for everybody. Uh, Roy Hodgson is ready to return. Roy Hodgson is 75. Leave the man at home. Chelsea are considering building a new stadium at Stamford Bridge that could cost up to two billion and would involve them playing in another stadium for four years with Craven Cottage, Twickenham and Wembley potential temporary venues. Four years. That's mental. This is the the money that was put aside in an escrow account. When they bought the club, they had to guarantee a certain amount of money for infrastructure. It was for a stadium because Roman didn't get to build the stadium. That's the last thing he wanted to do was build the stadium before going. He didn't get to do it. He put it in place that the the new owner had to do it. And that's where this comes from. That's where that money would be. Uh, Wolves will listen to offers for Ruben Neves this summer. Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United and Liverpool are all keen on the 26-year-old. Uh, Liverpool will not offer Naby Keita a new contract. They did, he turned it down. Ghana midfielder Mohamed Kudus is contract, uh, concentrating on helping Ajax defend the Dutch title rather than rumours of move to Manchester United and says he will enter talks over a contract extension when the time is right. Tottenham are monitoring Watford winger Adrian Blake, who's had a contract this summer. Allegedly very, very talented. I've never seen him play. Borussia Mönchengladbach are resigned to losing Manu Kone in the summer with French club, oh, sorry, with Chelsea among the clubs interested in the Frenchman. Former France and England, uh, France and Arsenal teammates, Patrick Vieira and Thierry Henry could be set to battle it out for the vacant role of the USMNT. Neither of them would be good picks. 
Paris Saint-Germain are willing to pay up to £159 million for Kavicha. Um, I doubt it, but maybe. Uh, here's the lie. Aston Villa are considering a move for Romelu Lukaku. Garbage. Manchester United are prepared to sell Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof. I would say desperate to sell Harry Maguire, unlikely to find a proper buyer for him. Uh, Jurgen Klopp wants to offer James Miller a new contract. Jurgen Klopp may well have lost his mind. Um, Chelsea are interested in Andre Onana. Yeah, could, could see that. Chelsea and Newcastle are both monitoring Brahim Diaz. Meh, not a big fan. Arsenal want to sign Galatasaray's French right-back, Sasha Bowie. Um, Really? I mean, if Tommy Asu is going to be a centre-back moving forward, I could see it. But other than that, I'd struggle to see why they'd want a right-back. But, you know, maybe maybe Tommy Asu will leave. Uh, Germany attacking midfielder Marco Royce wants to stay at Borussia Dortmund until the end of his career. Tottenham could reignite their interest in Kim Min Jae. He would be an incredible signing for Spurs, but I, I'd love him to stay where he is. Everton will move for Mikel Antonio in the summer if they avoid relegation. I doubt it. Ghana midfielder Mohamed Kudus. Uh, this is the same crap as yesterday, or as the yeah yesterday's gossip. Besiktas are. Preparing to trigger the purchase option in their loan deal for Arthur Masuaka. Okay, fair enough. Former France boss, sorry, why I can't read today. Former Everton boss Frank Lampard is ready for his next managerial role. Um, Frank Lampard hasn't been ready for any managerial role because he's an awful manager, and any club that gives him a job are just, you know, they're badly run. Simple as that. You're a badly run club if you're hiring Frank Lampard. Derby, badly run. Chelsea, badly run. Everton, badly run. They're the only clubs that will hire a Frank Lampard. That will do me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I will see you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.